I know she got a boyfriend. I'm 110 miles away. She's a school teacher. And I'm going to get there before her. I'm probably going to get there. And I'm going to convince her to go out me. And I drove to her house. Didn't tell her I was coming. I told her when I finally got there, I told her, I said, listen, I don't know who you was going out with tonight, but cancel it. RVs in town. The rest of them got to back down. Hi, and welcome to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. A longtime friend, David Sitton, formerly with FCA. I've known David probably over 30 years, and currently he's on staff here at Bot Radio Network in Memphis as an account executive. But through the years, David has brought to the microphone his friends, numerous ones, who have come and shared their passion and love for Christ, their ministries for the kingdom work. Today, he's brought to the studio evangelist R.V. Brown. R.V., welcome to Memphis. Good to be here today, Brian. So I hope you're getting treated right with John Wilfong. John Wilfong, of course, the University of Memphis standout. The Wilfong dynasty, the legacy that his uncle and dad left when they played wow. ball for the Tigers. And, of course, John in his own right, too, an outstanding basketball player and uh, showing hospitality <laughs> to you, right? <laughs> yeah, we had, a, we, had, we had a great time fellowshipping last night with them, having dinner, just the four of us, spread it out around the table. We had two and a half hours of just good raw fellowship and love of Jesus Christ and sharing what God is doing, how we met our wives and how we how we got together and how we, how long we've been married. And my wife and I, Francis, has been married 43 years. Congratulations. Yes, sir. But doesn't the Bible say he who finds a wife finds what? A good thing. And then the last hand, a good thing and favor with the Lord. Proverbs 18, 22. And that's probably the more important part, right? <laughs> the favor, right? The favor. That's what you want. You want the favor of God on your life. God's favor has been on you since uh, you made a commitment to Jesus Christ back yes, in 1976, I believe it 77. was. 77. 77. I got married June the 18th. I got saved November the 18th. Five months after marriage because God knew that he had a plan for my life because I'm one of 17 children. And God had a plan. I'm number 16. So my mom and dad prayed every night, Lord, you chest our RV, have him do what you want him to do. And I got married. And five months later, my chaplain for the football team was preaching. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in 43 years. Let's go to work for Jesus. Wow. I'm loving it, man. I'm loving it. What was dinner like around the Brown family table with 17 brothers and sisters and mom and dad? Well, it was like a picnic every day. And and being one of the little ones, there was so much joy at the table. And, you know, I, I tell a lot of people, I don't understand a lot of people say I struggled in my childhood, but my childhood was like living at Walt Disney World. There was something going on all the time. My brother and sister were telling lies at the table. And I was a little boy, and I just say, well, he didn't say that yesterday. He, she didn't say that. And I would just watch the love and the input my mom and dad had. My dad said in the table, he would pray. My mama never sat at the table with us. She was only five foot two or three, and she'd always stand up and bow her little head. So when I got older, I said, Mama, why you never sat? And she said, I was praying that the food never run out <laughs> and then the food never didn't. And, and, and Baron, I, I used to say, look at all those hands in the pot. Well, I saw the hand of God putting food in that pot, but the little other ones, the other brothers, they didn't pay no attention to me, but I saw God feed us. And that always impacted my life. So when I heard the truth for the first time, I was always in church, raised a prayer, raised up in a godly home, but nobody never told me I had to have a personal relationship with God or I would end up in hell. And when I heard that, Man, it changed my life. And look at me, 43 years later, I'm excited about Jesus Christ. It was the day I got saved. And the scripture says, he who began a good work in you will finish it. And this is an adventure, right? Mm -hmm. It's a faith journey. A faith journey. And I'm so glad that God gave me the wife to be on this journey with me. 
I want the people to hear this, to know that the relationship with Jesus Christ must not become stale. It has to be refreshing every single day. And I made a commitment in December of 1980 to read my Bible every day and to memorize one verse a week. So that's 40 years of memorizing verses and reading God's word. Harvey, so powerful and transformational, too, because the word of God is supposed to dwell in us richly as mm-hmm. scripture teaches us. And um, second to the youngest child of, of 17 children, mm-hmm. did you get picked on a lot? Who was responsible? Mom probably and dad probably said, hey, we've got plenty of siblings well, around the house. Well, what my older brothers and sisters, they raised me. And here I am, 67 years old. I still have to call my oldest sister and tell her every time I leave my home, I'm going here, I'm going there, because I'm their little child. So they raised me, and they were able to teach me. It wasn't a bad thing. They carried me around. Some of my brothers never wanted to carry me with. You know, when big guys go somewhere, they don't want their little brother with. But my mom would have asked them, you got to take him with. If you want to go, you got to take him with. And by doing that, I spent a lot of time around my family. And to me, there's nothing greater love than a family sitting together, fellowshipping together, eating together. Together, working together. And my parents always taught us, always remember families first. Right. Always remember that there's somebody love you and it's called your brother or your sister. Even when I needed some money or something, she said, don't ask nobody outside. Now, one of your brothers have some money. Go to your family. And family's always taking care of me. And as I shared with uh, Will Fox and them last night, I promised my mom and dad that I would keep the family together. So all I got to do when I go back to Columbia, South Carolina, is say, I'm coming home Friday afternoon. Saturday morning, we're meeting at Shoney's. Or Saturday, Saturday night, we're meeting at Golden Corral. 50, 60, 70 people show up for dinner. <laughs> I'm sure those restaurants appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll fill it up because that's, to me, family is so important. That's what's hurting us today is the family is not together. I've taken this COVID and I've been telling men, spend this time growing your family spiritually so your family can be strong. When we get back out there, we shouldn't be the same Christians as we went in the house as when we go back out the house. Amen. Together, you and your wife, Frances, have been blessed with two children, yes. Xavier and Summer. Yes. And you've got grandchildren. Five. One son and one grandson and four granddaughters, and we love them. And we've had them with us for almost four and a half months now. Where did uh, you and Francis meet, and how did you meet? Well, I had a friend of mine. We played football together, and his fiance was graduating from Winthrop College at the time, and he said, my car won't make it, but will you drive me up there? So I drove him up because when Francis was there, it was an all-girl car. I said, let's go now. So he said, no, we'll drive Saturday. So <laughs> we was at the graduation. After they called out his uh, fiance's name, he decided to uh, go outside. So we outside, and I saw this young man standing across the parking lot. And it was the tight end of the football team standing with my wife now, standing beside him, which is my wife's roommate's husband. So we all talking football. So they walked away. She asked him to bring him back. And she brought, he brought her back to me and introduced her to me. So we didn't say much. We left. At the end of graduation, we come across the campus. I asked, I said, I got to get up enough nerve to ask this beautiful woman for her address and phone number. So I did. And she wrote on a piece of peanut butter bar paper. Today, Baron, I have that piece of paper today, May 4th, 1975. And I sat at my office in that bank and I prepared a sermon. I said, now, I know she got a boyfriend uh, 110 miles away. She's a school teacher. And I'm going to get there before <laughs> her brother get there. And I'm going to convince her to go out me. And I drove to her house, didn't tell her I was coming. I told her when I finally got there, I told her, I said, listen, I don't know who you was going out with tonight, but cancel it. 
RVs in town. The rest of them got to back down. Good <laughs> God of mine. Oh, Jesus. Amen. I love it. I love it. A man that takes authority and just makes his will known. My daddy said, if you want something, son, go after it. RV, what are today's youth most hungry for but spend their efforts feeding the wrong appetites? They're looking for somebody to say, I love Jesus, and then live it. See, so many young people are being told to do something, but then the person that's telling them that is doing something different. They're hungry for righteousness, hungry for an example of what Jesus Christ. And I want them to see I'm a big guy. I want them to see that it's okay to love Jesus Christ. It's okay to be a man of God. It's okay to be a woman of God. And our children are searching, and they're not finding men say, okay, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ, and then walk it out. They are hungry for righteousness. They are hungry for guidance, hungry for leadership. And that's what's missing in America. The men are backing off and the women are having to step up and do everything. So I'm challenging the men. You be a man of God. You step up to the plate. You lead. And I promise you, your children will be far better off by you leading, Dad. 2005, you released the book, Step Up to the Plate, Dad. Yes. Where you expose men to the spiritual weapons needed to fight Satan and defend their families. Why, RV, are men failing to step up to the plate in their role in the homes? When we look in the Bible, it says the sins of the father go to the second and fourth generation. So many men did not have a father and mother like I did. So they don't have that example. So they don't know how to hand that example to the children. So now the second generation is still doing the same thing the first one did. So now what my job is, is to tell dad, this is how you be a dad. I say, if your daddy didn't do a good job, then you do what your daddy did not do. You spend time with your family. You talk to your family. And I always say, look at the word family. The word family is F-A-M-I-L, fathers acknowledges the mother, influence the life of the young. If the dad would step up and do his job, I promise you, the family would get strong. And I want the family to be strong as God would have them to be strong. But our young people are saying, tell us what's right, then let me see you live it out. Well, we know there is a, a large number of single parent homes, mm-hmm. largely held together by a mom, mm-hmm. sometimes working two, three jobs right. to put food on the table. Has the church failed in providing enough proper leadership for single parent homes to assist these single moms with raising their children? And Yes. And then the church have to realize God told us to go ye therefore. We can't go to church every Sunday morning and get fed and then keep it to ourselves. We got to go in the community and we got to find those families that are needed. And I tell these single moms, remember what Paul said to Timothy. Timothy, you got good faith. And it came from your mama, Lois, and your grandmama, Eunice. Those two women taught you. So what I'm telling you, single mom, you can raise God at your but stay on your knees. And then you find a church that has a solid youth group. And you get your child in there or get your child on the athletic team where he has to be in some authority of a man or a woman and learn how to be a man. Learn how to be a leader. But church is your responsibility to go to community and bring the community in and say, go ye therefore and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, so go out there and reach a quit sitting in the church and getting fed and then getting fed on what you got and never spread it out. The current events taking place and the chaos we see of rioting and looting acts we see some youth engaging in. What is lying beneath the surface of this anger and the violence that we see? Number one, the enemy, Satan, the devil. That's the number one enemy. And a lot of things is happening because these young people are crying out saying, I need some attention. And this is what I'm going to do to get this. A lot of people are doing some good things, but then there's always that element under that that's want to start. Satan, the devil is always lurking. And we got to realize who the real enemy is. Is Satan is the real enemy of the Bible, 
of Jesus Christ and your family, daddy, and your family, mama. So know who the yes. enemy is and yes. pray against him. And we, if you're going to protest something, protest the, the will to serve God openly, preach gospel, love Jesus Christ, and honor God with whatever you got. We don't have to do things wrong. We can do things right, but yet still God expect us as Christians to set the example, set the light, show the light, and then walk in the light. That is another great word there too, RV. Looking at the news, one would think that if the right political power were in the White House, we could correct the social ills, disparities, and injustices across our nation. But what's messed up with that idea? See, the first idea is that we got to remember what the Bible says in Romans 13. No authority is given except by God. The authority that God has placed in the White House, we still got to respect that position. But also we got to get him or get her to realize there's power in the name of Jesus. See, people that's in charge, we got to realize that we pray for them. As I got a book here called uh, Pray for a Nation, and I spent one solid year for praying for President Trump when he first got elected. One solid year, 365 days of prayer. And I promise America, if you get on your knees and pray... The White House, the State House, all of them can change. And the only way to change is through prayer. And prayer says in Luke 137, is there anything too hard for God? Nothing is too hard for God. But it's got to be done through prayer, love, and caring. Oh, so right on. Element of prayer we often overlook, thinking we can do things in our own strength and power. In 1988, you founded Outreach to America's Youth. Yes, sir. And you went into full-time evangelistic ministry. Now, this was after several years in the Chattanooga public school system as a special education teacher Mm -hmm. and a high school football coach. Right. And uh, we did a good job. We uh, we in three we won three conference championships in the six years I was at Howard High School in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But I had a seven year mission, and in seven years I'm a coach in the NFL. Had a job offer at the Atlanta faculty coming as a graduate assistant. They fired the guy that was going to hire me the day before I got there, and God showed me that was your will, but this is my will. Leaving Atlanta, leaving uh, Atlanta where their uh, camp was, going back to Chattanooga. As I cross the state line in a tendency, God says, resign from your job and come follow me. And in 1985, I resigned. I became a full-time evangelist. And then as I got away from the system in 1988, I've been in 48 states and 47 countries preaching the gospel. God said, you can do it. Everybody said, there's no such thing as an African-American evangelist full-time. So all you're going to do is preach. I haven't found one yet. But I tell you what, I'm setting an example that somebody behind me can come and follow If God put this man in, let me go talk to him and get his wisdom. Reggie White came to Memphis to play for the Showboats years ago when we had a professional team called the Showboats. Yes. And I remember the press conference introducing Reggie to the city. The first thing out of his mouth was, I've come here to tell people about (laughs) Jesus Christ. You had a relationship with Reggie White. from high school. He was in FCA at one school, and I was in FCA at another school. We built that relationship. And through his years at UTK, and he would always do something, and I would say, Reggie, when they put that mic in your face, the first thing you do, you talk about Jesus, what Jesus is doing in your life, and then you talk about Reggie. Don't ever talk about Reggie before you talk about Jesus, and God will bless your life, son. There's a story you were sharing with me before we came in the studio. Reggie called kind of whining. Yes, he uh, he told his Achilles tennis, and they said, uh, Reggie, you never will be able to run off again, push off again. You won't be the same person again. So he called me in the middle of the night. Oh, oh I need to talk to you. So what are you throwing? I mean, they said, I can't do this. I won't be in my legs hurt. 
So I get up from Chattanooga, Tennessee, 98 miles, drive up to his room. He's whining. He's crying. I said, Reggie, let me tell you something. You don't play football for UT. You play football for Jesus. Now, you do your part, and God is guaranteed to do it. You do the training they tell you to do. You get yourself in shape. And I told him, run backwards, Reggie, to put that leg under pressure that it'll get better. And that boy cut a tenth off his forward hind, and that boy went on and took the SEC and mopped it up with linemen. This boy became something special because he was challenged to play for Jesus. He was challenged to serve Jesus in all that he do. And I want to challenge every young athlete. God has given you that platform. Use it for his glory. And not only will he excel you like he did with Reggie all the way to the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Fame Reggie's in is called the Kingdom of God. That's the most important Hall of Fame that you'll ever be accepted in. Was it your relationship with Tony Dungy that opened up the door for you to become the chaplain for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Well, they had a chaplain, but I came in as a co-chaplain and, and encouraged them. I met Tony Dungy. I was reading an article coming from L.A. quickly, and they had said, we got a new Tom Landry in the NFL. So I bought this article, and I read the article, came home, showed my wife, and I said, I'd like to meet this guy one day. So at FCA camp, the very same summer, I did, I was a pastor for a week. I spoke the first morning, went to lunch. He and his wife came and sat in front. I didn't know who he was. They had all these coaches there. And a young man was said, Coach Dungy, can I have you? I said, oh, my God, that's him right there in front of us. That's him in front of me right now. Coach Dungy is sitting at that guy in the magazine. <laughs> and so when we got through, I said, let's take a walk. I said, here's what we're going to do when we take a walk. We won't talk football. We're going to talk about Jesus what we're reading, and family. That's all we're going to talk about. You know football, I do. We're not going to spend our time with football. We'll talk about encouraging one another, loving our wives, and being the man God called us to be. And now it's a 22-year relationship. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. RV, I know a lot of grandparents listening today have taken on major roles in the family, helping mm-hmm. to raise their grandchildren. You said you have five grandchildren And I know you are investing time in your grandchildren. And one of the ways is by teaching them the word. And I understand that you like to teach it backwards by starting with revelation (laughs) and moving the other way. Yes, sir. I tell you, and and it's an awesome thing when you know what's going to happen and you're reading it backwards. I want to share this first. My grandkids is, you know, because of COVID, no school. So they've been staying with us sometimes almost three and a half to four months. My wife saw a movie called Overcomers, and we started Ephesians 1 and 2, and then we went back and got Galatians. Now we've gone from Galatians all the way to Revelation 12. So by the time December the 22nd or 23rd, we would have finished the entire New Testament. So dads and mom, grandmom, granddad, you have the time to teach them, give them the wisdom that have taken you to get 60, 70, 80 years of age. Don't allow your grandchildren just to come get milk and cookies from you. Give them the word of God. Love on them and share with them. And one thing special, I took a sponge and put it in a clear glass of water. And I pulled that sponge and said, where's the water? They said, in this sponge. I said, you guys are five spiritual sponges. Ten years from now, 20 years from now, when Satan squeezes you and he squeezes you, the blood of Jesus, that water is going to come out. The living water what Nana and Papa has taught you. That's the importance of grandparents. As a grandparent, I appreciate that exhortation. You mentioned about the book, Commission to Pray for a Nation. Are we to pray for our nation so that things will move the way we think they should go? Or do we need to leave room for God to do what He really wants to do in our nation, including us? Yeah. So what we have to do as a nation is come together and pray and believe God. See, this is the only nation that was started to serve God. 
This is the only nation that on its currency, it says, in God we trust. So what we got to do, we got to pray and entrust the Holy Spirit to lead our leaders, to lead our family, to lead this nation back to the cross. And I think that's where we fail. We, we walked away from the cross. We walked away from our first love. And God is saying, my arms are still open. My heart is still come back to me. And that's my prayer for America, to pray for our nation to return back to their knees and to the cross. If the church would preach about prayer, if the church would start having prayer meeting like we used to have on Wednesday night, I mean, the church was just about as packed on Wednesday as it was on Sunday morning. But now we got prayer meeting, maybe five or ten people come back out of churches of thousands of people. So I'm telling America right now, get on your knees and begin to pray and say, God, open me up that I can be used to glorify you that other men in this country can see. And from our president down to the janitor or down to the garbage man need to hear prayer and need to see that believing in God and then believing what you pray. When I pray, I believe God is listening to me. That's what you got to believe, that he can hear all 330 something million people if we all prayed at the same time. One nation under God, one baptism, one fellowship, one God going home to be one with him one day. But we got to pray and believe and acknowledge him as our savior. And you watch what God's going to do with America. Revival is around the corner, but the child start with the church. RB, if the message of Jesus Christ is so clear and plain, why are there so many doubters refusing to believe? Because they see a Christian says he's a Christian not living his light like he should. The light is not shining. So what I'm asking the Christian to act like a Christian, believe like a Christian. David says in Psalm 26, 11, I would walk in my integrity. That means character. 12 verse said, let my feet stand on the even place in the congregation. We can't compromise. And listen to me, Christian. We can't compromise our relationship with you. We can't compromise our word. We can't compromise what God has given us to do as parents and as grandparents. Is let our life shine so other men can see it and glorify Jesus Christ. America, come back to John 15, 77. It said, if you abide in me, ask what you will and I'll do it for you. Only in the name of Jesus. I pray for America in the name of Jesus. I pray for our president in the name of Jesus. Everything. He said, if you ask in my name, I will do it for you. America, come back to Jesus through prayer and believing so your light will shine. People are looking for something, looking for that light. Let it shine and draw all men unto Jesus Christ. Amen. RV, if uh, you could go back, would you change anything? No, my wife can attest to this. I always say my childhood was like living in Walt Disney World. I wouldn't change one thing because my mom and dad prayed every night and called all 17 children name and order. And I would clog up my ear because I want to be bad like those kids down the street. My mom always prayed, you chastise RV. Have him do what you want him to do. You heard her praying that. Yeah, all my life. And I clog up my ears. My ears, I was so mad. that she's. Then I figured out what the word chastise means. You're going to get a whipping. So when the day I accepted Jesus Christ, I called my mama 42 miles away. I said, Mom, she said, tell me what God has done. Ma, I dropped the phone, told her, let's go. I went and got 12 roses, drove 42 miles, gave my mama six and gave my daddy six and said, I thank you for your prayer. God took 24 years to open me up and look at me now. Here I am 43 years later, still loving Jesus Christ because I had a praying mama and a praying dad. So I'm telling you, grandparents, I'm telling you, granddad and grandmom, you pray for them grandchildren. All of us had children that have been prodigals, but the what got the prodigal back home, I believe that that dad went to that one day every day and said, God, that's my baby out there. Protect him. And we pray God going to bring him back. God allows U-turns. That's why I love him so much. He don't hold 
mistakes of Praise themselves. Praise God, yes. That's why <laughs> when the prodigal son left his daddy and then Luke 15, 17 said when he came to his right mind, he said, I'm going home. So what you pray is my children or my husband or my wife come to their right mind and begin to worship God. Their right mind to see the love of God. Their right mind to come back and say, I am a child of God. And God, will you forgive me? He said, daughter is forgiven. He says in Psalm 103, 12, as far as east is away from where I've removed all of your transgression. God does not hold grudges. Our God is a merciful, a graceful, and a loving, and kind, and gentle God. Trust him today. Trust him today. Mm. Oh, well, you have been quoted as saying in a Billy Graham Decision Magazine article, God, why would you take a country boy like me and bless me with such your ministry? Thank you, Jesus. Are you still amazed in what God is doing in your life? I'm blown away that I'm able to go and preach. I preached uh, Friday at a football team. One of the coaches dropped dead, 31 years old. And the coach grew up with him, called me and said, I'm going to see if I can actually get down there and talk to my coaches and the players. They set it up and I went down there and probably 75 to 80 percent of those young men accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and said, not on my amaze. I am just, I can't even find a word for it, Baron, of what God is doing. His hand is so deep on me because I refuse to compromise. I refuse to fail somebody that cares so much about me. Brought me from an old poor country boy, living in a house with holes in the floor, living in a house with a bathroom outside the house. All those things I look at now, and I look at God and bless me with everything I dreamed of as a little poor boy. And all my God says is three things, and I'm going to say those three things. Be faithful, consistent, and prayer. If I'm praying and I'm consistent, God is always faithful. And if I'm faithful and consistent, God answers all my prayer. And I'm going to tell the Christian that there's only three things you got to do is be faithful. Be consistent and God will answer your prayer. Then there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. My God is a God that hears, answers, and get action done. RB, what a way to wrap up today's program. Faithfulness, consistency, and prayer. That's all God asks. It's too simple. Don't complicate people coming to Christ. Don't make it. It's so easy. But what you got to do, it's not going to be easy when you accept Christ. Life is easy before you get Christ. Once you accept Christ, life gets hard because see, now Satan has lost something. Now you're going to raise sand against you. But you know what? You got the blood to protect you. Amen. Well, listen, if those uh, viewing and listening to our program today want to learn more information about your ministry, there's a website, I know. That's rvbrown.org. And you've got two books. I got two books. One is called Step Up to the Plate, Dad. And the other one is called Pray for Our Nation. And if they need to order a book, they can call or give this number. Yes, please do. You can give this number 813-886-0065, extension 102, and ask for Mary Ellen. And Mary Ellen will get it to you. She'll take care of you. She'll take care. Harvey Brown, God bless you, my dear brother. Hallelujah. Thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom. Appreciate this opportunity. Thanks for sharing with Bot Radio today. And remember, be faithful, be consistent, and pray. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on today's Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Amen. Bye-bye. Great job.